If you grew up like me uh, in church, or even if you didn't grow up in church, you just grew up with the American Christmas tradition, you grew up with the idea of the nativity scene, or maybe you know it as a creche. And in that manger, in that stable, there's a feeding trough with hay in it and a baby and a woman sitting close by, Mary, and a man standing, Joseph, and then there are shepherds who come with their, with their staffs. And then there are three individuals dressed in regal clothing who have opened treasure chefs or gifts for the baby Jesus. And we know those individuals as the wise men, or sometimes we call them the magi. And I got to tell you the truth. What got me really interested in this series is the realization that I'd sort of bake them into the Christmas narrative without thinking a whole lot about their situation. And I'm going to tell you something next week. Maybe you, like, if you grew up in church, maybe you heard some smart aleck preacher stand on stage and say, oh, the nativity scene is wrong. They really didn't come to the manger. They came to a house somewhere. I'm an old debater. I'm going to think I can prove to you next week they actually came to the manger. But that's next week. So in any event, um, I I just think we bake their story into the, the narrative without saying much about it. It's like Mary, Joseph was there. The cattle was there. You know, the cattle were there, there was a little drummer boy drumming a song somewhere, and there were the shepherds, and oh yeah, there were the wise men. They were all dressed up and real nice, and they brought gifts. Well, let's just look at what the Bible has to say about the wise men. It is interesting, given the fact that we're devoting five messages to them in this Christmas series. It is interesting, and of note, that there are only 12 verses in the Bible that tell us the story of the wise men, and only in the Gospel of Matthew. Two of those verses are actually a quotation from the Old Testament book of Micah when they're trying to figure out where the baby is. So really, when you get right down to it, there are only 10 verses in the Bible that tell us about the wise men. I have picked four or five of the key verses for us just to look at. So if you will, look with me, please, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, and it just says Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, that's a region, during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, there were some wise men, some translations will say magi, from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, we'll skip a little bit. Look at the next verse. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They bowed down. That means they fell prostrate on their face and worshiped him, a little baby, I believe, still in the feeding trough, perhaps. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I've read that. I remember reciting it in Christmas plays at church. And believe it or not, I'm so old, I've actually recited those words in Christmas plays in public school back before we discovered it was unconstitutional. A couple hundred years after all the people who had written the Constitution had died. But in any event, we'll save that for another talk. But you know, I mean, you know how it is. We just Christmas plays, you know. Isn't it cute? Oh, my kid's one of the wise men. You know, it is the most amazing story in the world and the strangest story perhaps in the Bible. Last week, if you were here, and I won't go over last week's message, but if you weren't here, you might want to just get online and look at that message because we explained who the Magi were. They were the world's smartest individuals. For hundreds of years, cultures had developed magi. These were very, very smart men, very, very smart women, and they had a specific responsibility. They had the responsibility of observing everything that they could observe in science, mathematics, agriculture, philosophy, just in practically every important area of life. Their responsibility was to observe 
all these things. In fact, if, if, you're, if you're a scientist or if you're in science or if you're even in, in, in GPS and L, in, in, um, in high school, you know that science is based on observation and repetition. And out of observation and repetition, you get, you get truths, hopefully. Well, these were the early scientists. These were the world's smartest people. And so not only did they have their own observations that they chronicled for future generations, they absorbed all of the wisdom of Magi of previous generations. Each generation would leave their own observations. The next generation would come along, benefit from everything that had been acquired, all that knowledge, add their own, and pass it on to the next generation. And so Going all the way back in time, and you can study this if you want to, the Chaldees had their Magi, and then the Babylonians had their Magi, and the Persians had their Magi, and then the Greeks had their Magi. Like I said last week, you know some of their names, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. And then the Romans had their Magi. So by the time Jesus came along, there have been at least a thousand years, if not more, of these, well, I should have added the Egyptians, so it goes back before that, the Egyptians had theirs. So well over a thousand years, maybe 2,000 years, these magi during Jesus' time had acquired all this knowledge and information. I should also let you know, as I said last week, the magi were untouchable. Hey, when one, when one power conquered another power, they might whack the king, they may whack the government, but they would not do anything to the Magi because obviously they wanted to absorb all the benefit of the best and brightest people in the land. Now, here's why I think this is an extraordinary story when you stop and think about it. These were the world's elite. These were the world's most intelligent people, and because they were intelligent and so highly regarded in the world, they had wealth, they were afforded anything they wanted in life, they had life at its very best. Now, why? We talked about this last week. Why would the world's brightest, richest, smartest people drop everything, probably spend somewhere between a quarter and a half a year traveling across the known world on their own nickel and then bow down, face down, on their face before a peasant baby and worship him. Now, if I were a non-theist, if I didn't even believe the Bible, I would have to find that remarkable and strange and peculiar. I mean, put yourself in their place. Because as we discovered last week, these guys were acting on a prophet who had been carried away into captivity 500 years before named Daniel. And we talked about that last week. We said that the Babylonians had taken the best and brightest of the young Jewish men and women and brought them into their culture to Babylonianize them and to brainwash them into Babylonian culture so that they would come back to their own people and be missionaries to export Babylonian culture. But when Daniel went in, he had such courage and such confidence in God that instead of Babylon influencing Daniel, Daniel, God influenced Babylon. We'll talk about that later today. So based on something, and this is what I find really amazing, New Spring, this was 500 years. Now, just think about how people who lived 500 years ago influence you. I really couldn't think of hardly anyone who lived 500 years before me who still influenced me enough to make any decision today. And yet this guy's influence, was, we talked about this last week, was so remarkable that the best and brightest thinkers in the world dropped everything on their own nickel, went all the way, halfway across at least, the known world, and fell on their face before a peasant baby. 
I mean, just put yourself in their place. I mean, if, 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 I, we say they were kings. They may have been. If they were kings, then they had to explain their journey to the people that worked for them. If they weren't kings and they were just magi and they worked for the king, they had to explain it to the boss. How would you explain this journey? Um, we need to take six months off. Why? Because we need to go see a baby. Oh, got a grandbaby. No, 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 it's not a grandbaby. Well, what baby are you going to see? We don't know exactly. Well, what country are you going to? We don't really know. There's a star. We just follow the star. I mean, think about that. In, in 2016, if you're about to take a journey like that, wouldn't that beg questions of why would you do that? Well, today I want to take you to the second installment of our series because the first thought that we're going to consider today, it, it tells us really why these guys who could have had anything they wanted in Babylon, why they left. And here we go. You ready for this? Here's the first thought we're going to think about today. They couldn't find what they were looking for in Babylon. This is really important for us today. I'm a big U2 fan. I know the song's got some age on it, but I love to hear Bono sing, still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I think that's these guys. These guys are in Babylon. They still hadn't found what they were looking for. They had thousands of years of the world's wisdom, and they still could not find what they were looking for. Now, I know how serious and how passionate they were about finding it because if you, were in, you and I were in their place, we'd have just sent a text, wouldn't we? We were like, if we're busy, if we're busy women, busy men, and, and we're in the elite establishment of our culture with a whole lot of responsibilities, and this baby's being born, we just sent a text and said, hey, I'm all covered up here. Wish I was there. Hope you have a great, you know, uh, hope, hope the best for you and all your family. You know, we'll check and drop in on you sometime if we're ever in that part of the world. And they didn't, though. They stopped what they were doing. And the answer for that, obviously, is they could not find what they were looking for. And I won't go over too much material that I covered last week, but I want you to stop and think about what they had at their disposal in Babylon. As I shared with you, the Magi of various cultures had certain areas of emphasis. For instance, as I, I tried to make this American cities last week, and I said Babylon would be like Hollywood. Interesting, sometimes Hollywood refers to itself as Babylon. Babylon was glitz and glamour. Babylon was beauty and flash and dazzle. So the Magi from Babylon, they knew all about Hollywood. And we said the Persians were the most efficient culture in the world. As soon as the service is over, I got to catch a plane. And I know what I'm going to find every time I stop in airport bookstores. I'm going to find the books from Persia. Not really, but I'm going to find those business efficiency books. I mean, I'm going to pick up a copy of Harvard Business Journal or, or, or Forbes or Fortune. Persia was like the most efficient of all the cultures, and so consequently, they had business knowledge. We said Persia would be like Wall Street. And then there was Greece. Greece was the center of intellectualism and wisdom and philosophy. Greeks would be like the Ivy League. And then there was Rome. Rome didn't have any innovation. They just stole from other cultures, but they were all about muscle and power. So we said Rome would be like Washington, D.C., so I'm just saying, just consider this. By the time Jesus is born, these magi, they have all of the harvested wisdom of Hollywood, of Wall Street, of, of the Ivy League, in Washington, D.C. They have all of that, and yet they're leaving to go to Judea. Judea is nowhere by this point. They've been conquered by just about everybody. And yet these guys leave all of these citadels of world knowledge and information and power, and they leave it and they head to this place called Judea, ultimately to the little town of Bethlehem where they will fall on their face before probably a manger 
that held in it the baby of peasants who couldn't even get a room for the night. Now you tell me, is that an interesting story or not? I don't think you and I will ever look at the nativity scene the same again. Guys, we just have to understand that this world promises to offer us so much and yet what we'll find ourselves after we have sampled and tasted the things that this world has to offer is what Bono said. We will say we still haven't found what we were looking for. And that is because, number two, nothing in this world can satisfy your deepest cravings. We never talk about cravings, do we? I mean, we may talk about it in the area of food, but I'm talking about soul cravings. I'm talking about the real you. We spend most of our life talking about wants, but wants are so surface. They're so much on the periphery of our existence. And then if we really get serious, we'll talk about needs. But how many times do we get down to our soul to where we talk about what our soul is craving? This is the reason why so many people live their lives And they wind up like my granddad. My grandfather, I remember when he was in the hospital in Burnett, Texas, and he lay dying. And in fact, it was the last time that my my dad and I ever saw him where he he could talk to us. In fact, I believe it was the last time we saw him. He looked at my dad, who was the oldest of his nine kids, and he called him by his first name. And he said, Winfred, I've just now learned how to live. And now it's time to die. Now I was 14 when I heard him say that. I never forgot that. Do you know why people get to the end of their lives and they still don't know how to live? It's because they spent their whole life thinking about what they want and what they need. And they don't understand that we're not beings that just happened here. We are human beings, women and men made in the image of God. And God has crafted us to crave soul cravings. There's a part of you that can't be satisfied by anything in this world. As I said to you a few weeks ago, I've read many stories about mariners who were stranded at sea and they ran out of drinking water. And the irony was they're surrounded by drink, they're surrounded by water and yet they're dying of thirst. And some would, be, would, would begin to hallucinate and actually drink salt water And the problem with that is the salt water would kill them. They would drink it in order to to deal with their thirst, and yet it would kill them. That is so much like us when we craving things that only God can, can satisfy when we go after the things of this world. It's like mariners drinking ocean water instead of fresh water. How can we know that for sure? The reason I ask that question is, All the things that people pursue, we're never going to get all those things. And so it's easy for us, like the proverbial carrot before the horse, we can think, well, if I had more money or if I had more sex or if I had more power or if I had more pleasure, then I would find the meaning to life. And so many of us use up our lives trying to get that. But one of the great blessings that you and I have, if you have a Bible in your hands or in your lap or a Bible app, is that we have a book of the Bible that is an example of wisdom literature because there was a king in Israel who not only was a king, he was part of the Magi. He was part of the group that made observations and wrote his observations. We actually have two books of the Bible that could be classified as this Magi or wisdom literature. One is Proverbs. The other is a book called Ecclesiastes. Now, I want to refer to Ecclesiastes for just a moment because Ecclesiastes is a strange but cool book. Depressing, but it's cool. 
Um, what it is, when you look at the story of, of, of Ecclesiastes, there's one guy named Solomon who is king who tried to find meaning in stuff. And he was the richest man who ever lived. He was one of the smartest people who ever lived. And because of his wealth, he was able to actually try all kinds of things to make him happy. And the good news for us is he left a diary. And that diary is the book of Ecclesiastes. Let me just sort of read to you a little bit about Solomon. And this is what the Bible says, Solomon said, Ecclesiastes 1.16. I said to myself, look, I'm wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom, knowledge more than any of them. So I set out to learn everything, and I love this expression, from wisdom to madness. Solomon's like, look, I don't know what makes you happy in this world, but I'm going to try it all. And I'm just going to say I'm really, really smart, so I can go all the way to the edge of smartness. But by the same token, I can also go to the edge of stupid. Now, that's sort of the American way, isn't it? Psalm's like, I don't know what makes you happy. Maybe it's being really, really smart. Maybe it's being really, really crazy. But I'm going to sit out and I'm going to find it. And I'm going to try all this stuff until I find out what makes me happy. And then he leaves a diary. So we're going to see some of the things that Solomon tried. So here we go. He tried. Drum roll, please. Very good. Thanks. <laughs> he tried pleasure. Look at this. In Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But he said, I found this was meaningless. I don't know what the pleasure was. It, was just, it could have been food. It could have been drink. It could have been any of these things. It could have been entertainment. We'll see that he'll get to those. But Solomon just said, I am going to see if I can make myself happy by giving my senses anything they want. And he did it. Well, we're in a pleasure-seeking culture. Hey, have you ever noticed something about pleasures? Number one, as Solomon discovered, there's no meaning in it. And after a while, what made us pleasure, what gave us pleasure in the past, after a while begins to diminish. How many of you heard a song and you say, well, that's the greatest song in the world. I want to hear that every day of my life. So you go to iTunes, you download it, and you play it, and you play it, and you play it. And after a while, it's like, I don't ever want to hear that song again in my life, ever. And you go into a store, they're playing the song, you walk out. It's like, I don't want to hear that song again. Solomon said, I'm going to try pleasure. Didn't work. Okay, here we go. Let's see. He tried getting high. Well, you know what? There's, there's a lot of drinking, a lot of drug use in our time. And during the holiday season, I think people go through a lot of pain. So consequently, we, we, there's the idea. And, and it, listen, it wasn't just having a glass of wine with dinner. Because he said, I decided to cheer myself with wine. Let me give you the Hebrew translation on that. I decided to get stoned. I just decided I'm not going to quit drinking till I feel better, okay? And, and look at how, how, how he says this. And this is how a lot of people think today. I decided to cheer myself with wine, and while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find in their brief life in the world. So Solomon said, I'm just going to go over here to the edge of crazy. It looks to me like the only time people are happy is when they're high, so I'm going to get high. And listen, with Solomon's wine cellar, I mean, he could drink, I mean, he, man, he he could use Dom Perignon to gargle with, okay? I mean, so he tried that. Didn't work. Okay. So if being crazy didn't work, let's go to the other side. Let's try to be smart. He tried home projects. Yeah. Solomon said, you know what? Instead of going, getting high and getting crazy, I'm going to go down to Home Depot and Lowe's and... and um, Look at this, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 4. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. I, planted, I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I sort of smile when I go through this part of Ecclesiastes because it's kind of like Solomon is watching cable TV. You know, now he's on HGTV. 
which I watch with my wife as penance for all the ESPN channels that I watch. And Solomon said, I'm going to try, I'm going to build homes. I'm like, I'm like, build all these houses, and maybe like if I get a bigger house and another bigger house and I have a condo and, 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 and you know, on the ocean, and, and that will make me happy. Well, it didn't. And now he tried something really, really evil. But Solomon's got power, and he can do it. And unfortunately, in our world today, we pay people to do it now. But in the past, there's some really awful chapters in American history on this one. He tried getting other people to do his work. Solomon's like, maybe it's, I've worked too hard. Maybe I need to quit working so hard. I bought slaves. Men and women had others born in my household. But that didn't make him happy. So he tried the next thing that Americans love very much. He tried money. When you study the story of Solomon, he collected more money than any human being in history. He was the richest human being who ever lived in the world. But although his money piled up high and his yearly income was extraordinary, money didn't make him happy. So next, he tried, and this is all in the book of Ecclesiastes. Big blank for this one, he tried entertainment. Solomon was like, hey, I'll just have comedy concerts. I'll have music concerts. I'm just going to hire singers. In Ecclesiastes 2, verse 8, I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. I had many beautiful concubines. I had anything that a man could desire. But after all those concerts and comedy, you know, comedy, you know, concerts, nothing there. Yeah, somebody could say, Mark, I've been noticing you've left out a real big one here. We're going to deal with that right now. Okay, you ready for this? He tried all kinds of sex. Now, in our culture today, we, we buy in a little bit to the Freudian concept that sex is sort of the explanation for everything. So Solomon said, well, maybe it's sex. And I just want you to realize the extent. And, and just to keep it honest, this is what the Bible says. I'm not making this up. He had 700 wives. Princesses. And then 300 concubines. Those are just women that were there for whatever he wanted. That's a thousand women. Now, I know that some of you guys say, you know, I get around, but I promise you, you don't have anything like Solomon had. <laughs> and princesses, these were women who came from other cultures. So Solomon was thinking, maybe they know something about sex over in Egypt that we don't know here. Maybe they know more about sex in Mesopotamia. Maybe they've got some sort of sex secret, you know, in Persia. So I'm just going to get women from all over the world. I'm going to have all kinds of sex. didn't make him happy. Do you want to see what it got him? Let me show you a verse. This is one of my favorite verses in Ecclesiastes. Because Solomon is going to tell us that there were three results to his search. First of all, he said, I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem. Boy, Americans love that, don't we? We want to be the best at something. And Solomon said, I was the greatest. I had more than anybody else had. He said, anything I wanted, this is the second thing, anything I wanted, I would take. Are you there yet? Not me. I mean, I drive past the luxury automobile lots. There's a whole lot of stuff I can't have there. I go to the mall. There's a lot of stuff I can't have there. I go to the sporting goods store. There's a whole lot of stuff I can't have there. There are neighborhoods. I look at the houses, and I can't have anything that's there. Solomon said, I was bigger than anybody else, had more than anybody else, and anything I saw, I wanted, I took. 
And then the third thing, he said, I denied myself no pleasure. Solomon said, I never told myself no. I wrote this down, so I'll make sure I get this right. Do you realize if you had an evening with Solomon, you could see somebody who could have dinner in one of his palatial mansions. He could go out to his magnificent garden, smell the flowers, and be dazzled by the exotic animals. He could listen to a live comedy show in a concert. He could have any fun money could buy. He could get drunk on $1,000 bottles of wine, have sex with as many women as he wanted to, and know that nobody else in the world could have what he had. And yet he's going to tell us four things. Watch this. Here's the first one. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. The sex, the money, the houses, the entertainment. Go right on the list that we talked about. He said it was all meaningless. There was nothing worthwhile anywhere. See, he's like the mariner drinking salt water. He thinks it's going to slake his thirst and yet... He's dying. Here's the second thing that he says, and this is really a strong statement. I hated life. But you and I don't need to read Ecclesiastes to do that. Just look at the sports heroes that make millions of dollars a year. Look at the people in People Magazine who are entertainers who make vast fortunes. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to look very far before you hear coming out of their lives, if not their mouths, I hated life. Here's the third thing that he had to say. He said, I hated all the things I had toiled for. After a while, he began to hate the houses that he built. He began to hate the money that he had stored up. Why? Because it mocked him. It taunted him. And then the last thing he says in verse 20 of chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, that's when I called it quits. And I gave up. For once, at least, in the history of the world, there was an individual who was able to explore and experience all the stuff this world has to offer, all the things the wise men in Babylon could have had. And Solomon said, it was meaningless, and I wound up hating life, and I hated the stuff, and I finally just called it quits. Do you know what made the Magi wise? They knew, they knew there was nothing in Babylon for them. And consequently, they said, you know what? We're leaving here. We're leaving Babylon because there's nothing here in Babylon. And this is what's interesting to me, and I won't take too much time to develop this because I'm probably, I am out of time. I need to really rush. We had communion today, so I'm late getting into the sermon. So let me just go through this real quickly. In the old cultures, whether you're talking about Egyptian or Canaanite, Babylonian, Greek, Persian, Roman. All these cultures had gods associated with these pursuits. That's interesting. Because, and, and, and listen, you don't have to be a real expert or, you know, you don't have to know a whole lot about ancient cultures to find this out. Just go home, get on Wikipedia, look up gods of the Canaanite world, gods of the Egyptian world, gods of the Roman world, gods of the Persian world, gods of the Greek world. And what you'll discover is they all had gods for all these things. There's the god of sex, there's a the god of pregnancy, there's the god of the afterlife, there's the God of rain, there's the God of weather, there's the God of wealth, there's the God of war. They just all have different names for these things. And here's the question for you. This is, this is really interesting, I believe. Why did they take the pursuits that Solomon just talked about and associate them with deity? Real simple. Anytime you begin to pursue one of these things, whether we're talking about want, substance, or we're talking about sex, or we're talking about money, here's what you'll discover. 
is that ultimately they will have a power in your life. And that's why we think of them as gods. See, here's the thing. When I was a kid growing up in church and I used to hear about idols, preachers would preach that an idol is anything you love more than God. I don't believe that. I believe an idol is anything you look to for purpose and meaning. See, some of us make idols out of sports teams because our sense of well-being is tied up with whether they win or lose. We're actually drawing part of our identity from that sports team. And so that's what these guys understood. Now, and, and, and again, I just, I don't want to spend time with this. Let me just encourage you at point five just to look back on last sermon. The reason why these magi knew to drop everything was when Daniel was there 500 years ago, he talked to them about all the gods that all these people were worshiping. And Daniel said, my God is real. I have a real God. He's not the God of wine, and he's not the God of sex, and he's not the God of money, and he's not the God of, of this or that. He's the God of everything, and he's not one of these fake gods that people believe in because they've discovered that these pursuits have power over them. Daniel said, my God is real, and that's why the wise men dropped everything. See, here is the point, and this is what we must understand about the wise men. Babylon was easy to leave, because Babylon was broken. See, here's the thing, and I never forget this. You know, anytime I stand up here on stage, I realize there are a lot of people out there who are way smarter than I am, but the one thing I know of is if you're trying to find meaning out of the stuff of this world, you're winding up empty because this world is broken. And it doesn't matter how far you search or how, how many universities you go to, and those are all fine in their places. It doesn't even matter how much you acquire. I know this, that your soul is empty until you come into contact with the God who made you. The wise men could leave Babylon because Babylon was broken. They chased the star to meet the one who could make a new world. That is why they bowed on their face before that baby in the manger. They were saying, look, we're not looking to wine. We're not looking to money. We're not looking to intellectualism. We're not looking to projects. We're not looking to living in a bigger house. This world is broken. We're going to go halfway across the world and we're going to meet the baby who, when he grows up, will not just give life to us in this brief life, but the one who will give us eternal life and everlasting and make a brand new world. That's why they left. I'm in overtime, and I'm sorry about that. But let me just read to you a verse about what Jesus does. This is in the Revelation. It's in the last book of the Bible in the next to last chapter. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. God himself will be with them and be their God. Look at this. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will exist no longer. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, I love this, look, I am making everything new. That's why they chased the star. There was nothing for them in Babylon. They had been told that there was a real God and a child was going to be born and they had a timetable and they, told it was going to be, they were told it was going to be associated with a star and when they saw the star, they dropped it all to go halfway across the world to fall face down before a peasant baby in a manger because they knew he could do for them what nothing in this world could. And he still can. He still can. Hey, you don't have to get on a camel and go halfway across the world. You can get in your Toyota and come to New Spring <laughs> because he's here. 
Who's, who's ready to let go of the craziness of this world? I mean, who's ready to quit? Just, just let it go. The, the politics and the greed and the pressure to measure up to people's expectations. It's all salt water. Who's ready to let it go and just worship the one who can make you over again, the one who can forgive you of any sin, the one who can deal with all your dysfunction and won't freak out, the one who can make a new world for you, the one that when the doctors shake her head and say, we've done all we can do, and they're disconnecting the tubes and stuff, and they're putting you on life support, you don't have to worry about anything because the next hand you will feel will be the hand of the Son of God who will reach down and pull you out of this world and take you into the next one. That is why we chase the star. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? You can. You say, well, Mark, he's invisible to me right now. I get that. I dig that. But he's real. Just like the real you is invisible. I can see the house you live in, but I can't see you. Your soul and spirit's invisible. You say, oh, Mark, that's all my brain. No, your brain's just the organ that your soul uses. But you can reach out to Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, that's the thing. Jesus is there. It doesn't matter whether you're a shepherd or a king. Just come worship him. And that's the same thing for you today. If you will come and receive Jesus, and you can do it by just praying and asking him. In fact, you don't even have to pray out loud. Because he knows your thoughts. I'm going to do something. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that receives Jesus. And I'm going to pray it slowly so you can decide whether you want to pray it with me. And if you do want to pray it with me, Jesus will listen. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm a broken person in a broken world. But I believe you love me anyway. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he rose from the grave. And since he's alive, I want him to save me. I want him to be my king. Please forgive me and make me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you pray that prayer, you say, Mark, I don't know for sure what hit me. I get you. It was a simple prayer, but I have something I want to give to you. So I know we're crowded, so please listen to me for just a second. If you just pray with me, would you take your talk to his card? Just check the box that says you prayed to receive Christ. I have a gift for you. This won't cost anything, okay? It's just a gift. I have a new Bible for you and a book I wrote that will help you with your very next steps in following Jesus. Also help you to understand the prayer you just prayed. If you're in the South Auditorium, go straight outside to guest services. Take your talk to us card and say, I prayed with Mark. If you're in the North Auditorium, it's just right around the bend. It'll be right out there. You can say, I pray with Mark. They will give you this. Nobody will hassle you. They just won't give it to you. Okay, God bless. Thanks for being here. I'll be back to sign if you want me to sign your devotional. <laughs>